Um, I wanted to introduce our preacher this morning, Max. If you, um, Max is completing his third year of seminary, his final year, um, and uh, I believe that God has a call on his life to ordain ministry, and so we've assembled a parish sermon team to see it's not just can't be just in my head; it has to be recognized by the whole church, and so. They're in the midst of discerning that with him, and so I've invited him to preach uh, this morning uh, as part of his formation towards um, discerning or ordained ministry. And he's had three years of seminary, so I'm very confident it won't be heretical. <laughs> How's that for glowing endorsement? Wonderful. <laughs> Fitting. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Lord, would you bless my preaching and your people this morning? Or would you bring clarity to things that are obscure? And through simple words from a simple man, would you bring truth and life? Would you build up your people for the sake of your name? Amen. Amen. So we'll spend some time uh, working through the text of our gospel reading and seek to understand how Christ is calling us to himself through his words this morning. Jesus begins by speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. Sometimes we're told that Jesus speaks to his disciples, and sometimes we're told that Jesus speaks to the crowds, and other times, like here, we're told that he speaks to this mixed audience. And Jesus intentionally speaks these words to this mixed audience knowing that some people among him are hanging on to his every word, trying to understand how to live life in light of who he is. Some people are listening really intently, trying to find some reason to convict him and report him to the authorities. And some people will miss all of this altogether. And Jesus understands this as he speaks. He begins... The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do what they say, but not their works. And this is a shrewd way of speaking. If Jesus were to come out and say, don't listen to the Pharisees, they have no authority, he would be convicted on the spot and reported. But he's not just trying to dodge an accusation as he talks. He means every bit of this. The Pharisees and scribes actually sit on Moses' seat. It's their job to proclaim the perfect and loving law of God to his people. So listen to their words, he says, because in them is life. But do not live as they live, because they teach and do not practice. He goes on. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders but are not willing to lift them with a finger. Again, what they say, God's law that they relay to you is not a burden in itself, but they add to it. They add weight and do not carry it themselves. It's the additional weight and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that is hard to bear. They do not honor God, but instead do everything to be seen by others. They seek the glory of man. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Christ is giving us an example of how they seek the glory of man, not 
condemning them for wearing phylacteries or fringes. Phylacteries would have been little black boxes that they would wear on their heads and in the box would contain fragments of scripture and they would come down and tie around their arms or around their hands. And it was to be a reminder of God's instructions to bind his word on your hands and wear it as frontlets for your eyes or on your forehead. So this is good enough, right? The, the, the sign that they're wearing is not the problem. It's that they're trying to make it more obvious and they don't live a life in light of the words contained in the box. The fringes. Also in Numbers, before God's people were able to enter the promised land, they were commanded to have fringes attached to their garments. They would to be a reminder to the individual as they put their garments on or as they look down that just as this fringe has been tethered to their garment, they had been tethered to God and God has been tethered to them. So it was not that they wore fringes or phylacteries. It was that they went out of their way to make them obvious. They tried to appeal to their own righteousness and yet they lacked of life that reflected God's love. They flaunt, flaunt, flaunted these symbols of righteousness and yet were hypocrites. Before we pick up stones and try to condemn the Pharisees, let us examine our own hearts. Sure, none of us are wearing phylacteries this morning. We may wear a cross or have a bumper sticker on our car. And again, these signs are not a problem. It's the flaunting or the broadening of these pious symbols and the absence of living them out. And I think in our culture, especially in the South, this comes out more subtly with our words rather than with the symbols that we wear. Let me explain. In conversations with a friend or family member, do we make ourselves out to be more pious than we actually are? Have we been sanctimonious in sharing about how we're doing? When we share about our church with a friend or a family member in another town, do we want to come across as those who are doing it right? When sharing about how we're raising our children, do we want people to think how great and pious parents we are? When talking about health or nutrition, do we want to seem like righteous and wise stewards of our bodies? When we talk about politics or economics, do we want to appear very learned and yet perfectly grounded in truth? Or when we talk about mistreatment or unfairness in our lives, do we want to come across as the innocent bystander or victim that's been wronged? Do we try to flaunt our piety and righteousness? Well, at our church, in our house, in our marriage, at my job, or I was just trying to help or make plans for the holidays and the way they reacted was just totally out of line. Perhaps you don't use these words, but I think the point is, is clear. And, and to be really clear, I, you may be a great parent, a great student, a great employee, a great husband, a great wife. In fact, I know many of you are 
you may be innocent in a situation and be the party that's wrong. But when you speak with your neighbors, do you stretch this out a little bit to make sure they notice how good you are? Do we try to make ourselves out to be those that carry ourselves more righteously than we are actually do? In other words, when we speak with our neighbors, do we tie up heavy burdens that we ourselves do not even bear? I can speak for myself that I am guilty. I often live a life and speak in a way that seeks the approval and honor of man rather than desiring to live a quiet, obedient, humble life before the Lord. And this seeking of man's approval is what Christ is rebuking. Humble yourselves, he says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In preparing for this, I thought a lot about what it means to humble yourself. And Okay, so to humble yourself means to not be proud. And certainly this is true, but I think there's a better way to think about this. Humility is not just the absence of pride, just as love is not just the absence of hatred. Peace is more than just the absence of war. And generosity is more than just the absence of greed or thievery. God commands us, do not steal, which is straightforward enough. But he also asks us to be generous. So, great, we have not stolen anything from anyone this morning. But that does not mean that we have been generous. Generosity is a call to something deeper than just not being a thief. Likewise, humility is a call to something deeper than just not being proud. I'm sure we've all heard our share of one-liners, uh, especially in this day of social media. We get these little slides, these inspirational pictures with a quote, like, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's C.S. Lewis, whom I love. And I think that's a helpful quote. I think that's a helpful way to think about humility. But it's the same idea of restraint, right? Not thinking of yourself or not being proud. Is that the fullness of humility? So what does it look like? If humility is not just the resistance of pride or selfishness, then what is it? What is Christ calling his people to do in light of this passage? Anthony Bloom, the late monk and bishop of the Russian Orthodox tradition, puts it this way. The word humility comes from the Latin word hummus or humus, okay? which means fertile ground. To me, he writes, humility is not what we often make of it the sheepish way of trying to imagine that we are the worst of all and trying to convince others that our artificial ways of behaving show that we are aware of that. Humility, rather, is the situation of the earth. The earth is always there, always taken for granted, never remembered, 
always trodden on by everyone. Somewhere, we cast and pour out all the refuse or waste, all we don't need. It's there, silent and accepting everything. And in a miraculous way, making out of all the waste, new richness in spite of corruption, transforming corruption itself into a power of life and a new possibility of creativeness. Open to sunshine, open to the rain, ready to receive any seed we sow and capable of bringing 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold out of every seed. Is this not such a beautiful picture? Always trodden on by everyone, yet ready to accept hardship and transform brokenness and waste into beauty and newness of life. This is humility. This is the way of Christ. May this be true of us. May we be those who take in the waste, the malintent, the slights, the troubles of this world, and respond through the power of Christ at work within us with kindness and goodness and mercy. May we never flaunt our own righteousness, but be drawn ever nearer to his righteousness. Like the earth, always there, always trodden on, always taken for granted, yet always ready to receive, to sprout forth new life and goodness. Open to sunshine, open to the rain. If you're like me and this call to humility sounds like something you cannot bear, then I have good news for you. The good news is that Jesus Christ, our risen King, comforts, strengthens, and advocates for his people, whether they are humble or proud. If this call to humility this morning feels burdensome, because, because perhaps you're already under so much weight, you already feel trodden over, you already feel forgotten, and like you have to restrain yourself or endure for one more day. You may hear this call to humility and think, yet again, must I endure hardship, suffering, loneliness. Like the psalmist, you want to cry out, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? May the Lord lead you and strengthen you. And may you be brought to God's holy hill to God himself, your maker and redeemer with exceeding joy. Come to Jesus, the bread of life, and he will lift you up. He will nourish and strengthen you by the power of his body and blood. Brother or sister, may you be like the earth, ready for sunshine, ready for rain, rejoicing in Christ. And if this call to humility this morning feels convicting because you've been proud, not humble, perhaps like me, you have sought the praise and glory of man and have forgotten to honor the one who has claimed you for his purpose. Take heart. 
that conviction within you is evidence of God's spirit at work. Turn once again to the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin, but sons and daughters. May we come to our loving Father like little children, seeking to gather up crumbs of forgiveness under the table of his justice and righteousness. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Humble yourselves, dear friends, and he will raise you up. Amen.